Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, really happy to have you. I want to move on to the other lawsuit, the one not involving Donald Trump, the one involving progressives. Let me begin with this. There is, I think, a, a both sides more and more viewing the judiciary as well as politicized, the left doing their best to undermine the Supreme Court, attacking Clarence Thomas with frivolous claims. Uh, you see these cases against Donald Trump. Both sides think that the judiciary operates for the other side. This case in Montana, you, you got to be really a cynic when you read about this case. So a group of children sued Montana. There is a provision in the Montana law that says essentially uh, Montana can't take into effect climate change impacts on energy policies in Montana. Uh, then kids sued, yes, kids sued, I'm going to explain this to you, claiming that uh, they had standing and that they live in terror of climate change and the state must uh, start uh, considering the impact on the environment and of climate change of their energy policies, including the expansion of drilling for fossil fuels in Montana. If you want a sense of what a, a scam this is, the judge decided a five-year-old had standing because of their, and I quote, feelings like loss, despair, and anxiety stemming from the effects of climate change. I'm not making that up. You can't quantify the effects of man-made climate change. But the effects of this unquantifiable damage on the emotions of children is how they got standing. When the suit was filed, one of the plaintiffs was two years old, and the judge ruled the two-year-old had already suffered mental injury stemming from climate change. Plaintiffs Olivia and Grace are distressed by feeling forced to consider foregoing a family because they fear the world that their children would grow up in. That's how they got standing. Claire has been impacted by fear and loss from glaciers melting and anxiety over whether it is a safe world in which to have children. Uh, one liberal activist and writer, his kids are involved in the lawsuit and his kids 
were granted standing because climate change made their pollen allergies worse, and they say they can't ski as much. Let me read you this. Lander has seasonal pollen allergies, which are worsening due to the increased pollen count and a changing climate. Lander is an accomplished musician and theater performer and often performs outdoors. Climate change and wildfires have hampered his ability to perform music and theater at a high level and have negatively impacted his physical well-being. Badge is named after the Badger to Medicine, an area where he frequently recreates and fishes. Wildfires in the Badger 2 medicine have destroyed trees and have degraded areas imported to Badge and where he enjoys visiting and recreating, which has had a powerful emotional impact on him. Badge experiences a sense of loss and distress knowing that the area is being damaged and degraded due to climate change. Badge is passionate about skiing and has skied for as long as he can remember. Climate change is reducing Badge's ability to participate in this important recreational activity. Badge is anxious when he thinks about the future that he and his potential children will inherit. Lander and Badge care deeply about protecting Montana's environment, which is an integral part of their family traditions, culture, and identity. Witnessing the current impacts of climate change in Montana is traumatic. Georgiana Fisher was granted standing because she's a competitive Nordic skier and climate change reduces her opportunities to compete and apparently she gets nosebleeds from the heat, allegedly. Catherine Gibson Snyder was granted standing because one of her environmental community education events was canceled due to wildfire smoke. She's also concerned about bringing kids into an apocalyptic future. Olivia Vesovich from Missoula was granted standing because there are days when Olivia feels paralyzed by the impacts and threats of climate change, and she fears it's too late to address climate change. For Olivia, anxiety is like an elephant sitting on her chest. This is a progressive activist judge collaborating with progressive activists to harm the production of energy in Montana. This case was filed in a particular area of Montana to ensure a progressive judge would get it. And what would be the effects if this lawsuit were successful? It would raise energy prices on the poor. Most of the kids who are involved in this case come from well-to-do white families. They don't care that their success in this lawsuit will negatively impact costs for the poor because they, they actually think saving the environment is more important than the poor. They actually think that they're doing a good thing here. They think that they're saving the climate. They view themselves as heroes. They are the good guys in this. This reminds me of that David Brooks column that imagine instead you're actually the bad guys. You're pursuing policies that make it harder for people to have kids. You are worried about the climate and whether or not you can have bring kids into this world. You're driving up costs is actually making it more costly for poor families to have children. These kids probably think, well, that's a good thing because they're just a bunch of mouth-breathing poor kids anyway, so why bring them into the world? There's a level of arrogance in this lawsuit. And it's an arrogance celebrated by the press. 
The court determined a provision in the Montana Environmental Policy Act has harmed the state's environment and the young plaintiffs by preventing Montana from considering the climate impact of energy projects. The provision is unconstitutional, the court said. The sweeping win, one of the strongest decisions on climate change ever issued by a court, could energize the environmental movement. The ruling also represents a rare victory for climate activists who've tried to use the courts to push back against government policies and industrial activities they say are harming the planet. In the case involving 16 young Montanans, ages 5 to 22, remember a couple of them were two years old when it was filed, who brought the first constitutional and youth-led climate lawsuit, the youths are elated by the decision, undoubtedly. Here's the thing, honestly. Um, This was a photogenic lawsuit of young white kids that the media loved going to court, and they don't really care about the truth. They don't care about the impact. They don't care about the poor people who might be impacted, and they don't really care about the judicial activism. At a time the Washington Post is lecturing us about Clarence Thomas and perceived, not real, but perceived conflicts of interest, they're all in on a case like this. They're all in on this judicial activism. And they got a big win. Undeniably, they got a big win on this. But it's a win that's probably not going to be sustained on appeal. But they will inspire other people to go to court. And you'll get to a place like California where they file a lawsuit, and the state won't fight back. The state won't fight back, and it could cripple industries that help real people. It could put people out of work, and the environmentalists don't care. The environmentalists are the bad guys who view themselves as heroes. I mean, look at just just real quick. Look at the Avengers. Thanos was the villain. To save the universe, he wanted to wipe out half the universe. He needed population control because the universe was running out of resources in his mind. The movie vilified him. He's the good guy to so much of the left. He's a Malthusian. He believes the universe is running out of resources. We've got to call the herd to save the universe. This is what actual environmentalists and population control experts believe. They're on the side of Thanos, who's the bad guy in the movie. The movie, um, what, Godzilla and, and what the one with Mothra and whatever, the, the environmental group, was trying to bring back the monsters to kill off humanity for what? To save the planet because humanity was bad and poisoning the world. Or you got the Aquaman movie. Um, Aquaman's brother is the bad guy. He's an environmentalist who wants to kill off the, the world that lives on land or attack them and enslave them because they're polluting the waters. These environmentalists view themselves as the heroes. They view themselves as having a noble purpose. And the media heralds them. This is why in the 1970s, there were a series of eco-terrorism attacks in the United States. Every week, there was a bombing in the 1970s. Not making that up, true stat. And it was environmental activists in particular and far-left progressive activists who were doing it. And environmental activists are starting to do it again. The Earth Liberation Front and other groups killing people and shutting down businesses they believe to save the planet. These kids are these sorts of activists. They're using the court process now. How many of them are going to turn into vigilantes as they get older? When they lose this case on appeal, what are they going to do? But there's also something else here deeply terrifying, and it's the number of parents who have mentally abused their kids. These kids have to be told that the world is coming to an end and maybe they can't have kids. They get it from somewhere. Where do they get it? Their parents.
Their parents are the ones who gave them anxiety. Well-to-do liberal white parents giving their children anxiety, sending them to therapy because the parents are using their children as their vehicle to advance their own agenda. And their own agenda is a progressive, secular, white agenda of upper-income people who really view the poor with contempt. They think they're helping the poor by sterilizing the poor. They think they're helping the poor by driving up their costs so they can't have kids. They think they're helping the poor by driving the poor from their good jobs. They think they're helping the planet. There's a narcissism in this and narcissism, there's a there's a, a uh, level of Gnosticism, and you can't dissuade these people. They think they're the heroes. They are convinced they are the heroes. The media is convinced they are the heroes when they're the villains of the story. They are no different than Thanos snapping his finger and wiping out half the universe. And it's very interesting that Hollywood can tell these stories in the form of movies and the environmentalists are the villains. But in the real world, these environmental activists, many of them are supported by Hollywood. So on the on the big screen, they tell the truth. And in reality, they're the ones driving up costs, getting rid of, of, um, of, of good laws, getting rid of good jobs, raising the cost of living on people. In Montana, this is going to, have an appeal to the state Supreme Court. The Montana Attorney General has announced the ruling is absurd and will appeal. Austin Kunsden is the Republican um, and Emily Flower is the spokesperson for the Attorney General said the same legal theory has been thrown out of federal courts and courts in more than a dozen states. It should have been as well here. I wonder if the Montana legislature might consider impeaching this judge. I mean, the judge clearly working in cahoots with the activists is is a progressive activist. They might as well impeach him and set that in precedent as well. You judges do this, you get impeached. I don't know if they have the votes of the Montana legislature to pull it off, but they should probably try. In the meantime, you should know that a group of young white kids from wealthy families have decided to wage war against the poor in the name of saving the planet. And that's what the Democratic Party is becoming, and that's what so much of 2024's election will be about. I am a small businessman. The company that I run for my radio show, it's a small business. I've got employees. I don't have HR. You may be in that situation and you may really need HR. Well, you may want to talk to Bambi. When running a business, your employees can create all sorts of interesting situations and they could get you in trouble. What happens when two employees are squabbling? One of them smells bad all the time. What do you do? How do you navigate the rules? With Bambi, you get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 a month. They're available by phone, email, real-time chat. Onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance. Your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. Let Bambi handle your employees for you. Their HR autopilot automates important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Listen, you want U.S.-based HR managers who give you experience, expertise, a personal touch you need to make it seem like they're a part of your team. They can cost eighty grand a year, but Bambi starts at $99 a month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Go to Bambi.com right now. Type in Eric Erickson under podcast when you sign up. It'll help you. It'll help your company grow. It'll help you keep peace of mind. It's spelled B-A-M-B-E-E. Bam. B-E-E.com. Bambi.com. Type in Eric Erickson. Well, I, I, I got to 
I gotta, I, I feel the need to do this. Yesterday, I was talking about a story about uh, fast food restaurants are redesigning, and it was a Wall Street Journal story, and they mentioned uh, McDonald's, Burger King, Chick-fil-A, Taco Bell, and they didn't mention Arby's, and I know they didn't mention Arby's. Nobody eats at Arby's these days. Just in passing, well, um, Charlie does, Philip does, Jim does, my wife does. I do on occasion, but it's been a while since I've had Arby's. It's not that I dislike Arby's. It's just not first thing in my mind of, hmm, I'm going to go eat the roast beef sandwich at Arby's. My wife really liked the potato cakes, uh, but they don't have the potato cakes anymore. She can't eat the curly fries because of her chemo. She doesn't like the new fries, but she likes the roast beef sandwich. I guess I'm going to have to go eat at Arby's tonight. My, My team around me has badgered me and bullied me into saying something nice about Arby's. It's And again, it's not that I dislike Arby's. It's just, I mean, it's not the first forefront of my mind. Plus, they really need to renovate a lot of their Arby stores in my area. But nonetheless, I apologize for offending people, for suggesting that people don't eat at Arby's anymore because even my wife does. And for the record, she would like me to note that she still does although she would really like the potato cakes and she can't eat the curly fries because of the chemo. But nonetheless, just need that on the record so Philip and Charlie will shut up. (laughs) I can't fire them either because we got the conference this week. Um, I thought about, like, firing them, but that would leave me empty-handed for this conference, and I would have to stuff all the bags and do all the grunt work, and I'm not going to. That's their job. So in any event, I move on now. Setting the record straight. I guess I'll have Arby's for supper tonight. Uh, Now... Someone is floating this crazy idea, a a solution to the conundrum. Uh, This is in the Los Angeles Times that essentially uh, Dianne Feinstein uh, needs to go away because she's not capable of doing her job. And perhaps maybe she should resign and let Gavin Newsom put Kamala Harris in her place and put her back in the Senate. And that would free up Joe Biden to find a new vice president. Uh, This tells you the desperation of Democrats in America. They're trying to get Kamala Harris out of the vice president's office without making it look like they're throwing her under the bus. They got to do something. That's how bad she is as vice president of the United States. The, The Democrats are really stressed out because it continues to show up in the polling that people do not like Kamala Harris and they're worried about her becoming president because Joe Biden is so old. And he is. Uh, You know, Jonathan Martin at Politico has a story about Mitch McConnell is starting to show his age. And um, he is. It's sad to see. But the media seems to be more interested in talking about McConnell starting to show his age than Joe Biden, who they give a pass to. But Joe Biden's on the national stage so much, the American public is more concerned with Joe Biden. And the result is people don't want Kamala Harris to be president. So the Democrats better come up with a solution or else or else they may get outgunned by conservatives around America, including Patriot Mobile, which is funding conservative candidates around the country. In addition to funding the Second Amendment and the pro-life causes in America, Patriot Mobile takes a portion of their profits and funds the causes you care about because they were set up explicitly to be a Christian conservative enterprise. And all you got to do is move your cell service to them. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. PatriotMobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. You move your service to Patriot Mobile, you get guaranteed great service. They're using the same cell towers you're probably already using anyway. And then they take their profits 
nonprofits and fund the conservative movement. You can take your existing phone number to Patriot Mobile, so you don't even have to change your phone number. Or you can get a brand new phone number from them if you want. It works great. Uh, PatriotMobile.com slash Eric or 972-PATRIOT if you want to call them. 100% U.S.-based customer service. 972-PATRIOT. You can give them a call. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation with my name. You get great discounts. You're a veteran, a first responder, an NRA member, a teacher. You got multiple lines for multiple houses. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric or 972-PATRIOT. Call Patriot Mobile. Move your service to them. Do business with a company that shares your values and know by doing it, you're growing the conservative movement. Did you know China has made it a priority to teach students financial literacy starting in preschool? Financial literacy isn't taught in our elementary schools and parents lack the resources to teach it at home. American kids are yet again being left behind. Now there's a great way for parents and grandparents to help the kids they love learn about finance. Thanks to the Sensibles and at bcs-kids.com. The Sensibles are a team of animated superheroes who help kids age 6 to 12 develop smart money habits in a fun way. bcs-kids.com was created to channel this multimedia resource to kids everywhere. Buy a subscription for your loved ones, and each month they'll get a Sensibles kit in the mail with an entertaining DVD, comic book, and activities. Digital subscriptions are also available. They'll also get access to an interactive website with a library of lessons, fun activities, and more. Want 20% off the monthly subscription costs? Visit at bcs-kids.com. Enter the promo code ERIC, my name, E-R-I-C-K. It's the sensible thing to do. Subscribe today at bcs-kids.com. Hi there. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, I am delighted to have you with me. Um, I got to talk about a wild story. And uh, this one is, I'm, I was stunned that this is happening in my backyard, honestly. Uh, when you you hear about it, um, I will you'll understand real quick though. Um, and, and I I hate to do this for those of you in delay, but I just need to tell you that um, in the southeast at least there are massive uh, storms sweeping through right now. Some severe weather. Uh, if you're in the Greenville area listening to WORD, you've got a significant weather advisory over downtown Greenville and, and Spartanburg. It's headed towards you. Uh, and I'm just looking, I'm about to talk about a story in DeKalb County and, and there's like all sorts of weather in my area. I realized it should turn dark outside. Um, so wanted to say that, but so this is a story and I, I just, for those of you just, just listening anywhere in the country, just listen to this story. It sounds like it should be something that happens in California or Oregon, but it happened in DeKalb County, Georgia, which is right next door to the city of Atlanta. A DeKalb County man says squatters broke into his home in February and are still there. Backlogs with courts and the marshal's office have left him legally unable to enter his own home. Channel 2 consumer investigator Justin Gray has learned there's finally an eviction order, but the homeowner's still waiting. Now he's waiting on DeKalb Marshal Service to be able to actually evict the squatters. Two people have died in the home from overdoses since this all started. Code enforcement has cited the homeowner for not properly maintaining the house he can't even legally get access to. Tim Arco said just days after his tenants moved out of his East Lake Riddle home, he showed up to find someone had broken in. He said as soon as he pulled into the driveway, someone pointed a gun at him. 
I just jumped the fence and ran. I didn't know what else to do, Arco said. That was back in February. Six months later, the squatters are still in his house. I didn't walk in on a family eating dinner. I walked in on weapons, a prostitute, a bunch of dogs in the back. My fence broken down, Arco said, but it was Arco police arrested. He called 911. They told the police I was a home intruder and it was their home, so I was arrested and detained. Since then, he's been fighting to evict the squatters in court. After months of court delays, the eviction orders finally signed, but now he's waiting on the marshals. Nobody likes, you know, being in the court system, but it becomes even worse when it seems broken down, says John Ernst, his attorney. The DeKalb County Sheriff's Office bypassed courts and served an intruder affidavit after Army Lieutenant Colonel Dahlia Doors' home was taken over by squatters back in May. I felt violated, Durr said at the time. One of the alleged squatters at Arco's home yelled at uh, WSB-TV's Justin Gray while he was in front of the house shooting video saying he's no squatter. You didn't break into the house, Gray asked. Oh, no, sir, the person said. Did someone break into the house? Nobody broke into the house, the person said. I feel like it's very heavily weighted towards these trespassers and criminals, Arco says. Arco was never charged with a crime once he showed the police it was his property, but it's six months waiting on the course. This is unacceptable, y'all. This is unacceptable. Now, now, key fact pattern here. In May, in May, a squatter broke into a different home in the same county, and the sheriff's office bypassed the courts at the time and served an intruder affidavit. But not this time. Six months later, now, this is not this man's primary home. It is a rental property that he has. But it is absolutely beyond dispute that it's this man's house. He owns it. Squatters have moved in. Why has it taken six months? This isn't California. This isn't Oregon. This isn't Washington State. It's not some bright blue state. Now, it is a bright blue area of the state of Georgia, but that should be really unacceptable. And I, I hope members of the state legislature in my state uh, find a way to expedite these sorts of, sorts of situations. But here's the problem. This is happening more and more in blue parts of the country. You know, in Washington, D.C., uh, the southeast section of Washington, D.C., they're about to lose their last grocery store. They're about to lose the last grocery store because of crime and shoplifting. The left, when you, when you listen to the left around, like for example, they use phrases now, food deserts. I was first clued into this phrase of food desert. There's a, a magazine in my area, Atlanta Magazine. It's a very good magazine, but they did a profile of food deserts. That is people who don't live within a reasonable distance of a grocery store, people who have to drive to a grocery store. The left believes that everyone should have a grocery store of some kind on every block where they can get basics, milk and bread and meat and vegetables. 
the ideal. And if you don't live within walking distance of a place where you can get fresh vegetables, you're in a food desert, the left says. But it's the progressive policies causing the food deserts around the country now. As the last grocery store in southeast Washington, D.C., packs up and leaves, you're going to be uh, having to go down for the, the ho-hos and the, and, the, and the Twinkies at the local Quickie Mart because you can't actually get to a grocery store and get something substantive because the progressives have decided not to police. And because they're not going to police, they're going to shut down stores. And they've been dismissive of this. With the help of a complacent media, the left has been very dismissive of these sorts of stories. You go to San Francisco and you hear about the Walgreens and the CVSs that are closing up shop or the Targets. And the media comes back. CNN in particular did this with left wings being, oh, well, actually, it's because they're a dime a dozen. They're on every block. They have too many. Therefore, we can get rid of some. Except they're getting rid of all of them. Soon there will be a condom desert in San Francisco. You won't be able to go anywhere to a drugstore to be able to buy anything from a, from a drugstore. And the state will have to subsidize and give them out for free and put them in the mail for everybody because you won't be able to find a CVS or a Walgreens or a Target for that matter. And it's progressive policies doing this. If you want to understand why I'm more black voters and Hispanic voters are moving to the right. It's these issues. This isn't an economic issue for them. It's a cultural issue for them. It's an issue of their way of life and lifestyle that they now have to travel further to go to a grocery store in Washington, D.C. because progressives have refused to enforce the laws and put the bad guys in jail. The bad guys have stolen so much that the grocery stores are shutting down. DeKalb County, Georgia is a very progressive county. The people get the policies they voted for, including taking six months to be able to get into a house. What's going to happen is you're going to have more scarcity. You can predict what's going to happen. You're going to have more scarcity. You're going to have higher rents. You're going to have more protection. Uh, you're going to have uh, it, it, less people wanting to engage in rental situations. You're going to have housing problems. It's easily foreseeable the housing problems that are going to happen when you take six months to evict squatters from a home, when you arrest the homeowner instead of the squatters. When you have a double standard in your justice system so that some people get preferential treatment where they don't have to wait six months, the sheriff just goes, rounds up the squatters and throws them out of the house. And other people, you got to wait six months and get a judge to buy in after you yourself have been put in jail because they decided you were the bad guy, not the squatters. Progressive policies at play. Progressive policies driving up people's costs. Progressive policies degrading people's way of life. Think about your kids in school now. Your kids are far more likely to learn about the gender unicorn than the Pythagorean theorem. Pythagoras was Greek. That means he was of Western civilization. That means he was undoubtedly a racist. That means you can't teach him. So we'll teach the gender unicorn instead. We'll teach sex ed to kindergartners. These are the things that are happening in our society. These are cultural issues and they're economic issues as well. And because they're cultural and economic issues, you would think that Republicans might wanna focus on tying these issues together as, as a cost of living and way of life story. 
Your cost of living is not just going up $709 a month because of inflation. Your cost of living is going up because now you've got to commute further to go to the grocery store because your grocery store went out of business because the left refused to round up the criminals and prosecute the shoplifters. And so they became emboldened to shoplift even more. You've got to pay for your kids to go to private school or you've got to quit your job and homeschool your kid because the public schools are garbage. You've got to consider these things. There is an economic and a cultural issue that ties together pretty perfectly these ideas and concepts. And if the Republicans can just latch onto this message and point out that your way of life is under assault by progressive policies. They, they got they got a way to move forward. I'm just gobsmacked though by this. Did I just use I just use gobsmacked? Um, I, I'm I'm flabbergasted that this happened in my backyard. Now, DeKalb County, you should know, that's also uh, where the um, police training facility is that the Antifa kids are trying to destroy. They've been uh, vandalizing police stations and fire departments and attacking police officers. They tried to shoot a police officer. Uh, police shot back and killed a guy. The media made that guy sound like he was a martyr or a victim. They've been firebombing um, uh, locations around the metro Atlanta area, these Antifa activists. The media has been giving them largely a pass. Oh, they're just activists. They're protesters. They're terrorists. The state of Georgia is charging them with terrorism. The state of Georgia only got involved because the DeKalb County uh, folks refused to get involved. They won't even get involved now. It's clear for their homeowners. I just, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm crazy, but I don't think I am. I just think if you string together these messages, it's not about 2020. It's not about a stolen election. It's not about uh, relitigating what happened. It's not about retribution. It's not all about the slights. It's about the management of the country. And it transcends to a place like what's happened in Hawaii, on Maui. The alarms did not go off. We now know, based on press reports, that they chose not to fire the alarms. They thought they had the fire under control. That's the latest news about Hawaii, buried by the Donald Trump indictment. The media doesn't want to talk about it. The government thought the fires were under control, so they did not sound the fire alarms until it was too late. By the time people knew they needed to evacuate, they were headed into the fire. Not because of climate change, not because of global warming, but because the government dithered and was incompetent. And then people, despite the fire, despite the toll, despite the news, despite the help, had to stand in the ocean and sometimes duck under the water to avoid embers and flames. There are all sorts of horror stories coming out of what happened in Hawaii. One man said he and his wife hid behind the seawall, sometimes having to go into the water, and he would get up and try to go help people calling for him. Some people were burning. Some people were burned. Some people were dead, leaning over the seawall. They had escaped to the water. There was no government there to help them. Those people had fled too late because the government didn't wake them up and tell them they needed to flee. The government dithered and people died, and yet the media would rather you believe it was climate change and global warming than government incompetence. There's a story for the Republicans to tell about what happens when Democrats are in charge. And we're seeing this play out around the country. 
If only they will do so instead of nonstop talking about stupid indictments. Man, all the breaking news today is about, of course, there is more breaking news happening right now. Uh, This is actually impressive. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia, the D.C. Court, it's like the the mini Supreme Court. Here's the case. Uh, During the Black Lives Matters protests in 2020, uh, the Frederick Douglass Foundation uh, did a pro-life protest that black babies matter. And they drew chalk outlines of children in front of abortion clinics in Washington, D.C. The District of Columbia rounded up the protesters, arrested them for defacement and graffiti. Here's the court. We conclude the Frederick Douglass Foundation has plausibly alleged the District of Columbia abridged its members' First Amendment rights by enforcing the defacement ordinance on the basis of the content and viewpoint of their speech. In particular, the District of Columbia permitted individuals expressing the Black Lives Matter message to violate the defacement ordinance, as evidenced by the widespread painting, graffiti, and other defacement on public sidewalks, streets, and buildings, and on private property. By making no arrests, the police effectively exempted advocates of the Black Lives Matter message from the requirements of the ordinance. In contrast, the police showed up in force to the Frederick Douglass Foundation small rally and arrested individuals who chalked black preborn lives matter on the sidewalk. Happening now, the Court of Appeals in the District of Columbia for the federal government has ruled that the police in the District of Columbia discriminated against pro-life activists by giving Black Lives Matters activists a pass to graffiti and deface sidewalks and buildings, but would not allow at the same time the pro-life activists to engage in the same messaging for their message. I am shocked. I'm impressed. This is a big win. Probably will not go to the Supreme Court, um, but that's good. good ruling for the pro-life movement. Good for them. What a day. So we've got, just to review now, the D.C. Court of Appeals siding with pro-life activists against the District of Columbia police. We have Hunter Biden's, um, the the U.S. attorney saying that they didn't um, continue the plea agreement. The the plea agreement was not approved by either side, so they should be able to go to trial. Uh, We have other breaking news happening now. Hunter Biden's lawyer is now asking to be released from his representation of Hunter Biden. That's happening right now. Why? He says, given the conduct of the negotiations with the U.S. Attorney's Office and other matters, he is likely now to be called as a witness Uh, And so cannot represent Hunter Biden while also being a witness. And then, of course, there is the Trump indictment in Fulton County. To put all of Trump's indictments together, and again, I think the most serious is the Florida case about the documents. The second most serious is the Georgia case. The third is the uh, Washington, D.C., January 6th case. And the one that I don't think is a serious case at all, the last one is the New York case. Um, We do not know now whether or not his fundraising has picked up. Um, They had been bragging about it in the past, but they're not now. One of the other things I find very notable here, and and I I mentioned that these uh, pollsters I've talked to have been pointing this out. They're calling it the half-life on these indictments, that the first indictment got a huge jump for Trump in the polls. None of the other indictments have really seen a measurable 
improvement in his standing. At the same time, however, uh, DeSantis is going down to the national polling now. He, even the the not online polls, the, the the real live operator phone calls to people, DeSantis does not seem to be clicking right now, at least in the polling. Although I will tell you there is some renewed optimism on his campaign size. They, they do feel like based on their internal polling and what they're seeing on the ground in Iowa in particular, that um, he is getting some traction. I, now, I, I'm I'm interested in that because I, I hear the same thing about Tim Scott's campaign. He's starting to get some traction. Mike Pence has now made it into the first debate and says he should be on track to make it into the second debate here very shortly. Um, Will Hurd going nowhere. Asa Hutchinson going nowhere. Doug uh, Burgum going nowhere. Not only do you have to raise money, but you also got to collect signatures, and, and those guys aren't. I, I still, I'm interested to know who's going to drop out before Iowa. Who's going to drop out? My guess is you're going to have a Hutchinson, a, a Will Hurd, people like that who drop out before Iowa. But what of the big names? What of the Pences, uh, the Haley's, the Scots, the Christie's, the Ramaswamis, the DeSantis's? Not sure, but I do know they'll be with me on Friday and Saturday in Atlanta for my conference where I intend to ask them not about Trump, but about their campaigns and their messages and their future for the GOP and for the country. And I'll talk to you guys tomorrow.